0: Good morning, Al. Good morning, Ben. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. This is our first podcast together.
1: It is, yes. yes. Can
0: you believe that? We've been, we've been working together, uh, what, eight years, nine years, something like that? Far, 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 far too long. too long. <laughs> <laughs> and we finally decided to have a podcast. And we, we, we often talk um, at least every month, if not every week, um, to catch up on projects. Um, but out of that comes a lot of interesting discussion, and we thought it might be nice to... Share that with everyone, <laughs> or at least have a platform for doing that.
1: Indeed, indeed.
0: Um, but we, we this is the very beginning, so there's lots of unknowns at the moment. The the format is uh, open to interpretation, but we're starting with a Q&A. So uh, we've got a lot of questions that customers asked me, certainly um, in the past, as part of our coaching. But I know Al's got some as well. Um, so we're going to start by answering those. But what my hope is, is that people will be able to fire us questions via Twitter, um, before and during the podcast and we'll be able to answer them live, so to speak. Um, but also it might be the, the right answers, but we will be able yeah, to answer them we'll live. To answer them. <laughs> exactly. um, the other unknown is the name. Um, I actually put out on Twitter, I think it was the beginning of this week, um a name our podcast question. I wasn't I wasn't expecting many people to come back with an answer, but a few people did which was nice. And it was using the Twitter poll which they've re... Well, I'm not sure when they did it. I'm uh, not sure if anyone's used the Twitter poll, but it's, it was quite neat. When it's launched, you can only have two questions. So it's effectively, uh, what do you think? This option or this option? And it's quite nice. People can vote on it, and you can have an open date of how long that lasts for. Um, but they've opened that up now. You can have up to four different answers on there, which is quite cool. Um, and I put a few questions... Um, trying to find the poll myself now. I think I was being... Uh, one of the one of the names was uh, being inventive. I think we've got the inventive podcast. No agenda was another one, and then Ben's fantastic podcast or something like that. Um, we only got one vote on being inventive and inventive uh, podcast, but actually Al came up with another this morning, which was something inventive. So that's going to be our working title for the moment. This podcast is going to be called something inventive.
1: It's it's like the you know the Boating boat face. Where you, get, you, get, you ask the public what they think, and then you just decide. You probably just decide on one yourself, anyway. So.
0: <laughs> no, podcast, podcast face. Um, yeah. It's going to fill up the Twitter um, character allowance too much. I think it needs to be shorter. <laughs> yeah. So that's a bit of an unknown, but we'll go with something inventive and see how we go. Uh, I think over the first few episodes, we'll, we'll treat that as the beta period, and we'll see how things develop. We're also not entirely sure. Exactly how the framework's going to be, but we'll see. I think that this is um, an interesting test in developing a new product or um, platform as this, and so it's be interesting to for people to see the uh, successes and mistakes that we make on this journey. Um, so, before we begin, um, perhaps let's just introduce ourselves briefly after that five minute ramble. Uh, so, I'm Ben, um, and I'm uh, the, one of the marketing coaches at Rather Inventive. And what that means is um, I help various different companies of different shapes and sizes with their digital presence and offline presence a lot of the time. Um, anything really to do with marketing their business and getting closer to their customers, selling more products, selling more service and just having a nicer business. Um, and yeah, we've uh, got quite a few clients. We started in Hereford and have grown out from there. Um, and it's, it's one of the most interesting things I, th- I do, really, speaking to clients on a regular basis and hearing their problems and hoping and hopefully helping them make some headway with those and putting a strategy together. So that's me. Al, what about you?
1: So, yeah, uh, I've, uh, I do really do the website building um, project management of, of building or adapting websites. Been doing that for <laughs> far too many years, 18 years in total, not wow. all with rather right, Eventer, of course. Um, so, yeah, I've probably forgotten more things than I actually know now. But, um, yeah, a, a typical kind of week for me is just you know, working on a new client website, typically in WordPress, um, but honestly, all sorts of different um, languages and platforms, um, and just helping collate all the information, uh, making it look good, obviously, making it work on. Uh, mobile handheld devices mm. uh, and desktop um, and just really tie up all those things content images uh, look and feel into one package that, that just works and does what yeah, and, it needs
0: and, and you've had a lot of good feedback from clients that you you actually listen to them um, and not not just uh, taking their content and slamming it into where any design you can find it's actually no no I want to go back to basics and find out what you want to achieve and I think that's um, and I think you're a, a bit of a stickler for really asking questions, I, I, and that's important. It's really important just to get a good like, yeah. understanding. <laughs> I do like asking questions, yeah. yes. And uh, question, yeah. And you know, questioning, um, questioning the client, making sure it's really what they want to do, <laughs> however, you know, whether it's a good idea or not. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. In
1: fact, I was just reading this week um, uh, about the sort of different roles in web development and um, what kind of people are kind of a bit confused as to what, what they are. <laughs> I think I'm one of those people. Because uh, as things have gone on and the uh, industry has matured, um, you know, there is kind of, well, you do you do still get webmasters, as it were. But um, because it's just, you know, literally exponentially, grow- you know, the growth of the industry, people are much more compartmentalized than they were before. Yeah. So to say that you're uh, you know web designer, you know, what does that, where, where does your role start and end? Or if you're a web developer, where, again, where does your, you know, what part do you do? And I think some people who actually do the job are still a little bit like, ooh. Because you actually Where does do UX a, come into it? Yeah.
0: You have a lot of different roles. If you, if, you, if you were to think of a web development team in, a, in a, say, a large agency, you would have the um, back-end developers, the coders, the front-end developers, so the people putting the design into place, the designers who are passing mm. to the front-end developers. Um, you've also got content people. Uh, <coughs> copywriters would be associated with that. Um, and then you've got UI, UX people who are basically looking at the how customers use it and how i uh, and basically doing a lot of focus groups or talking to customers to find out the best um navigation path for something or whether a certain button um is right uh, the placement of a certain button is right, so they're they're looking at everything quite holistically um and then obviously project managers and so on um but you your role is actually all of those <laughs> every all, all of those them things. i mean maybe yeah. not to the same degree um yeah. that because uh, you certainly don't have the time to to do all of that, or the luxury, I think. <laughs> the way I, I fire. Come on, there's another job, Al. Get on it. Um, and I, I, I think it's quite interesting. But how, how that's really grown out, and there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot more sort of scope for people within web
1: development. Yeah, uh, and for the client side as well. You know, it's you just can't keep on top of it all like you mm. could do, you know, in the in, in the early days, as it were. And um, yeah, you just need you need help with various bits because it's just impossible to keep up with all of the things that are changing. Yeah, just on the time we've been talking now, someone's probably released a new JavaScript library that does something really quite exciting. But <laughs> you know, it's again, it's it's a constant race to kind of keep up. Not not just on our side, but also yeah, from the client side. Like, you know, all new things they can have on their site or new ways of doing things, yeah. improvements. So yeah, it's now it, be
0: slow down. and even just the way they're built. I mean, uh, in the, the the good old days. Shall we say, well, in the, in the days when we were originally um, building websites, very much handcrafting them. You, there were no frameworks, as as they're called, or um, basically pre-written code sets that you can use. Um, you'd have to write it yourself, or, or maybe look online and find out how someone else has done it. But now, nowadays, we we use WordPress. We moved on to WordPress, oh, what four years ago or something like that. When before we were making our own, because it was a good stable platform. A lot of people use it. I think around twenty percent or twenty five percent of them. Um, uh, websites on the web use use wordpress i think it's um, something like that it has to be higher it's, Certainly it, yeah. for new
1: small businesses it's higher than that it's yeah.
0: very high but, it, but even that i mean it, uh, if you look at wordpress it's very much using a um an older school of thought for websites where it's you've got a server space you put on your code and then you adapt that and put a, a template or design on top of it um but there's a lot of websites now, like Squarespace, uh, Wix, Mister um, Web. Um, is it Mister No Mister Site? Is it Mister Site? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's probably Mister Web and Mister Site. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. there Web, are lots yeah. of the Weebly is another, um, and tons yes. more. Where you you pay them a subscription, and you develop the site online in their website, um, and uh, basically everything's done online. You you don't you don't talk to anyone about it. You know you're you're very much on your own and. And so it's, it's interesting see, to see the development of how that, that, that works. But, but the one thing I think a, a lot of um, people still struggle with, it's not the actual development part of it. It's, it's identifying what your website is about, who it's targeting, um, and how you can then best attract those, the people you want and, and give them the information that they, they want to help make a decision about whether to buy your product or use your service, whatever it might be. And that's the area a lot of people struggle with. Whether they're making a website on a Wix platform, you know, for a couple of pounds a month, or they're developing a bespoke one for you know ten thousand, yeah. the problem still comes of what to put on it and what's useful to people and how you want people to move through the site. And you know that that's that's where we come in, which is yes. quite handy. Though no, that bit hasn't hasn't disappeared. Um, I'm just going to just interject and and, and actually the uh, reader sponsor. Um, that's actually one of our products to start off with. And it's it's a new product that we've um, uh, well, developed all of last year. And it's called Ticked Off. And essentially, the best way of thinking about it is it's an internet marketing checklist in its simplest form. So it's something you, you, you sign up to and it will provide you um, tasks one at a time to help you market your business, mainly online. That's the current focus at the moment. Um, the objective really is... That there is a lot of free advice out there. I mean, the internet is full of free advice from from companies like ours, from agencies, from search engine optimizers. Um, but it's very difficult to know what, who's right, what the best information is, and what's the best order to do things in. So we've do that ticked off to not only provide our own expertise and advice, but also link you out to other websites. And it's really about helping break down all the, the, this sort of massive um, task of marketing into small chunks that are easy to, um, uh, they're realistic and achievable and easy to do when you have the time. Um, So uh, the website for Ticked Off is ticked-off.com. Don't type in ticked uh, off into Google just yet because you'll get lots of uh, links for uh, tick removal companies. The domain's (laughs) quite new, but eventually we'll be overtaking that. Um, So you, you go there, There's a simple sign-up form where you just need to put it in your email and name. And you can sign up for a a free 30-day trial to see if you like it. Um, And if you're you're really quick, you might actually be able to go through a lot of the initial tasks within that period. Um, But after your trial ends, it's just £8 a month. And then over the course of this year, we'll be adding more packs. At the moment, it's just focused on getting the basic fundamentals of marketing right. But over the course of this year, we're adding more on how to get more customers, how to develop those customers into better um, leads and convert them, and then how to develop a community and so on. And we'll be adding to it as we go, so it'll become more and more useful for you. Anyway, that's the end of the first ad on our um, podcast, so we're going to move into the Q&A part of it. Now, we've lined up a few questions, and let's see, what's the first one we're going to start with? In fact, something. this was a question that was asked recently by a client. They had got into just a little bit of hot water with um, using a copywritten image online. Now, I don't go through everything clients do in their blogs. I sort of give them a good framework and they were going really well. They were sourcing images online. They were pushing out uh, great blog content. But one of the images they used happened to be from uh, a major image publisher and they didn't realize and they weren't deliberately trying to copy the image and, and, and take it. their benefit but they they perhaps didn't realize how google search works so what they actually did is um, i think they just searched on on google images for an uh, um for a few keywords that represented their blog and um found an image on there and just used it didn't didn't think anything out of uh, more of it because they thought well it's on google i can use this and after getting a, a request to take down the image immediately um they wanted our help to see if there are any other images that they've been using that may be um, copywritten or they don't have a license to use. And it's an, it was an interesting question because um, where possible, we try and well, we always try not to use images that we're not allowed to use in the first place. And I've never thought about how you would actually check whether you can use an image. And um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Al, but there are a couple of places that I asked them to go to first. One of them was um, tinI.com, and this is a reverse image search. So you, pretty cool, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's uh, I love the little robot logo on there. It's very nice design. But basically, you upload an image, say of a a cat playing with a ball of string that you've got that you want to use. You can upload that into Tineye, and it will basically search their database, um, which I assume is the majority of the internet, for where, where they believe that image was first used or what the largest resolution version is. Now, it doesn't tell you who the copyright holder is, but if you're lucky, if it's in an image gallery, it might come up that image gallery top and then you can go there and say, actually we shouldn't be using this image, it's, it's copywritten. Or you can go through and find it on um, a photographer's website or someone's blog. And so you can you can basically trace back where that might have been used first and try and find out the owner that way. Um, And then Google does something similar on reverse image search. I've actually written a little mini FAQ about it. So as part of the notes, the show notes I'll post the links to um, both TinEye and Google image reverse search because reverse notes, it's it's Google reverse, sorry, it's Google (laughs) image reverse search. (laughs) And it's not obvious to get to um, but it's you know it's reasonably straightforward and yeah so it's both quite it's quite interesting to see to use that as a way of finding out whether you can legally use it but also um, if you're in if you're not sure and it doesn't look it, you, you've not taken it from somewhere like i Stop photo or Getty images and you've taken it from a blog and it looks like perhaps you could use it the best thing to do would be to ask whether you can use mm. that image ideally um, that can take some time if you really want to put the image on there and aren't necessarily going to spend the time asking, I think the best thing you can do is at least credit the website where you got it from and put a link to their website there. It's not ideal; you really need their permission, but I think at least if you put a link there, you're acknowledging it's their right, it's their they own the image in the first place. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? Out?
1: Well, yeah, quite a, quite a few different different thoughts. Um, I've I've just never used Google to source images. For- for um, anything really like that. I just, I always feel that that's someone else's work. Um, and also I think it is it is a bit of a, yeah, it's, it's a quick way of getting an image, mm. but I don't think it's the best way. And it's not, yeah, it's not something I would, I've ever told anyone to do or anything I've or, or ever done myself. I just think if that was my photo on my site, that doesn't mean it's there for anyone else to use. Yeah. That said, if, I, if I'd if just taken that shot and then someone approached me and said, oh, would really like to use this on our, Blog, is that okay? Um, I think I might be quite flattered about that mm. and, and have my name on there. Maybe if I'm lucky, a little link, which is always good <laughs> for backlinks. Um, so yeah, that would be fine. And I would I think I'd much rather someone ask me up front than to discover it being used. Then you get a bit angry, like you feel like something's been started, taken away from you. Yeah. Um, and I know you had a bad experience on Flickr with that, I
0: think, when you, there was an image that... Um... Oh, that was for the book, the Be yeah. Social book. Yes. Um, yeah. We... I mean, we hadn't published it yet, but we used an image that I believed was um, because on Flickr, if you go into Flickr, you can you can search. If you search using the box at the top for um, "cat with string," for example, you can then there's they've got a license filter, and instead of any, you change it to commercial use allowed, and then it shows the ones that you are allowed to use and change and use freely. I think you you have to provide a link, or you should provide a link back to the Flickr page. Um, I think that's just common a decent thing to do but you're allowed to use it and and, and do what you like with it um so where was I going yes so so the be Social book I believed all of the images I was sourcing were through that method but one of them wasn't and it was a a bit of street photography and it it seemed to it seemed to go quite nicely with the chapter um article that it was meant for but when we were just about to publish the book and it's all ready to go um I said well I better approach all of the people who use the photographs that just to check that we can use them and you know give them credit and also just so they know about the book it might help with promotion and give them a free copy of the book and everyone was fine with it no no one had a problem except um one author or one photographer who who really was you know they really were quite well they were quite upset about it let's put it that way i wouldn't say nasty because uh, but but we hadn't we hadn't used it we weren't published it it wasn't it wasn't out there ready for people it was i found it to be
1: a very strange Overreaction.
0: <laughs> it was yeah, maybe from our point of view, it was an overreaction. But you know, they they were unhappy with it. But you know, we we replaced, took it off straight away and said we won't use it. It won't won't be on there. Um, we we I think we even asked if we could what what the cost might be to use it. Um, but they they weren't they weren't wouldn't let us use it at all. So well, we took it off. But actually, it worked out that because of that, we found a better image that I think was more aptly suited to it. It was about um, if I can remember the chapter, it was about. Getting being found, getting seen, um, you know, getting people to be aware of you. and We actually found some na- naked cyclists, which I thought was quite, you know, uh, it was more relevant to what we were trying to achieve in in, in the. Um, um, it's all all from behind, all quite decent. It,
1: <laughs> no cyclists were harmed in the taking no. off.
0: <laughs> but so we actually found a better photo because of it, and they were more than happy for us to use it. Didn't want any money. No, I mean none of them did, but uh, a credit, and I gave them three copies of the book. Um, but yeah, that, that was interesting, but we really took steps to, um, find out what we could use. Um, and it's, uh, it it took, it took time. It really took time because I wanted to do it properly and, you know, waiting for people get to get back to you is, you know, they're, they're, they're not necessarily businesses. They're, they're doing their own thing. They're not checking Flickr all the time. So that wasn't fun, but I thought it was the right thing to do.
1: And actually coming out of that, then I, I sort of started to think and look around for more, um. But royalty free like stock photos mm-hmm. because historically um we you know there's lots of stock libraries like um, getty images iStock photo which is a, a really good one which is um not just images but also the like audio video mm-hmm. and illustrations you know which is it's um done by uh, people all around the world so you've got a real really good sort of base there for just also you know amateur photographers not necessarily professional photographers who are wanting a high amount of money for different usage, I mean, historically, when I used to work in marketing, you would have to pay different fees depending on where you were going to use the image. Yes. Uh, and things. So if you wanted it on the cover, that was more. If you wanted it small, it was this much. Um, and although iStock do charge for like the size of the image, they don't sort of, they don't sort of dictate where it can can be used. Um, so you know, I, I would recommend iStock. Um, yeah, for, we've always we used them. Um, uh, yeah.
0: They've good. I mean, they've got more and more expensive as the years have gone on, but um, you know that's the way things are, but actually generally they're things are. good, aren't
1: they? Yeah, and I think they are connected with Getty images as well. But, um, uh, and, you know, I think if if you've got something that needs a good image, then I, I think it's worth paying for. And I don't think it's ex- it's probably not as expensive as people might think. You know, it's not like the old um, pricing structures there. Um, and if you're using it quite small, you know, it's just a couple of pounds and you've got access to a really good image that probably not loads of people are using um, and, load, you know, and illustrations as well, which would, if you were to go and commission an illustration, oh, wow, yeah. I mean, you couldn't get that for five <laughs> for five pounds. So it's absolutely worth it. We but did. Although, that...
0: although I was just going to say with illustrations, we used, um, and I'll put, uh, I don't if you remember, I'll put the link in. We used a great illustrator for our, the robots on our website. That was through people per Hour. I can't remember his name. Sorry, but I'll put a link in and <laughs> and that was good. And he, he worked out. I, I think you've got to just balance it off. I, I think it's, it's, if it's, if you want it to be good, it's worth paying to find the right asset, whether you're going to a stock library or getting it commissioned. Um, but it, it's worth paying for certain things just to get it just to look right, um, rather than just slapping any old cat picture in there.
1: So coming out of that, I had a look for royalty-free uh, libraries. So royalty-free literally is free; you can just use it for whatever you want, commercial, anything. But um, well, they're not free. That...
0: Free you, the the you the license to use it. You can do what you want with it, but you usually have to. You might have to pay to buy the image in the first place. Not on,
1: not on the particular site. Oh, not on, not on this particular site. That's the thing. On, on iStock, yes, uh, sometimes. Um, but on, uh, I found a blog post with links and stuff. And the best one I found coming out of that was a very morbidly named um, Morgfile.com.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Which is. It's hard to forget
1: because it's such an odd name. (laughs) It's a kind of a phrase in uh, photographic terms, Um, but it's literally, it sounds like something out of Silent Witness, Um, but it's literally morguefile.com, all one word. Um, And I just had a look at it earlier and they've updated it as well. So it's looking a bit more slick. Uh, Before it looked a little bit, yeah, yeah, it looked a bit sort of amateur, but now it's looking like probably, it looks They've changed for like Pinterest style front page. Um, And yeah, amateur photographers just upload, pictures and they don't expect anything for it i think you know they just appreciate the number of downloads that they get you know um and there's quite a lot on there um you'll yeah. find a lot of pictures really similar to one another so it's almost like the photographer have a, can't quite choose the best one so there's like six pictures really similar thing but you know what, that's fine and um there's some great stuff on there there's not so great stuff but in some ways because it's not polished it doesn't look like those cheesy royalty mm-hmm. photographs you often get you know business people shaking hands and you know um, Boy, have yeah. I
0: used a lot of <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which actually does does more damage, I think, to your site than than any than than just an honest photograph, even of your own staff. I mean, um, it's all very well talking about using you know these stock libraries for things, and yes, yeah, sure, if you were talking about um, you know another country, it's not feasible for you to go out there and take a photograph for that country. But something on Morgfala might have something that someone's done. Um, but if you're if you're talking about something you've done or your product or your stuff then I would just recommend you take your own photo. Mm. Uh, I mean, you don't need a professional these days. Everyone's got a pretty powerful uh, you know, camera in their pocket in the shape of their phone or you know, even a, you know, an S digital SLR. Um, and it's more honest and I think it's, it's better to you know, where you can just do your, own, do your own photography.
0: Yeah, I think it depends what you're trying to achieve. I, th- I certainly think if you need a photograph, don't let getting a photographer stop you. You take the photograph and you use it. And as you say, most smartphones have great cameras on. In fact, um, the tweet, when I tweeted out uh, just before we started about getting some questions uh, for our podcast, I took a picture with my iPhone 6 of my mic. And I was amazed at the depth of field um, it created. And that's that's basically making the background more blurry and focusing very crisply on, on the front part. It's amazing for a camera with no no um, large lenses. What it's actually done automatically there is pretty good. It's done a pretty that, good macro shot. That's actually a narrow depth of field. By the oh, way. sorry. Well, yes, <laughs> Al is sorry. a photographer. I do have a background in photography, <laughs> so it's
1: an area <laughs> I know a little so, bit about.
0: So I wouldn't. I, I think I don't think that um, people should be stopped from taking photos. I think you know, if you need something, you go out and take it. But. I do think if you can, if you have the money and you've got a good, friendly photographer, it does make the difference because they, they will have a better camera which will let in more light and it will take a better picture. And they'll also, um, they may have a better eye than you for what looks good. And I think that's something that is difficult. If you don't have a good artistic eye, you don't, you don't know how to frame a photo. Then uh, it's worth paying for that sometimes that's true but it it shouldn't it shouldn't stop. a lot of people say no i need a professional photo i need it no just take the photo yourself if that if that is the barrier to you um to stop you blogging or to stop you getting your product out there just don't don't use that as a barrier you need to do it yourself and then Mm. when you have time and money then get professional in
1: it's quite possible someone in in the organ in your organization or or you know or connected that it's quite good amateur photographer you know it's a it's a popular hobby and um to tap tap into that where you can.
0: Um, So we've talked about um, Flickr, Morgfile. Actually, Google, there is an option to set the license that you want, whether it's commercial or not. I I wasn't quite sure. It didn't make it as explicit that it's for commercial use. It just says, I can't remember what the filter is uh, in Google, but I'll put a link to it if I can. But it, it didn't seem explicit that it was commercial, but it seemed that you could use it you are allowed to use the uh, image. Uh, we also talked about Tin Eye, that's a reverse image search. Just while we're talking about media, something I used recently for the, um, actually, it was the ticked off video that I did. Um, I wanted a bit of music, so I went on this place. I was looking for free music initially. It's not that I had a problem buying music, I just don't want to buy a load of library music, which can cost quite a lot of money to sift through to find the right track. I want to find it online and then buy it. But I found this place called freemusicarchive.org. And it's it's got a lot of rubbish on there, or maybe not suitable, not what I wanted. But there's 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 this one guy I found on there, and I've, I've used his tracks twice actually. It's called Scott Holmes, and it, I thought his music was brilliant. It was really nice. It was uplifting. It was per- the perfect track for what I wanted. I think it was it was um, very much probably designed for the sort of, sort of um, multimedia videos that we use nowadays. But you don't have to pay for it. It's completely free. And in fact, the, the way they've got a feature on there where you can tip the artist. And I was more than happy to tip them because I, I basically downloaded the music, incorporated it into the video, used it, published it and thought, this is amazing, it's it's really good. And I, I tipped them. I think it was, well, I don't know, 20, 25 pounds, something like that, which I thought I thought was fair. It didn't actually say, it didn't give you any idea about how much you should tip. And I, I wasn't sure. So I just gave them 25 pounds. Um, and I would happily, every time I get a track off there because... It's really nice giving you the freedom to be able to try something out without, you know, get the full track without uh, a lot of the what um, uh, watermarking they put over the top of it. So you can really get a feel for what it's going to be like, and then you can tip them afterwards.
1: Well, the, the local cafes must love you, Ben. You're you're a very, uh, high tipper. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm actually quite a bad tipper, although. <laughs> that's, but I thought I thought you know I don't know if that's fair or not, but. Um, I thought that certainly they, they were giving away for free that, that I, I, I'll probably tip more in the future. Um, so yeah, that was, um, freemusicarchive.org and yes, yeah, so that's great. So we should move on to the next mm. one cause we we've spent a good chunk of time on that, but actually I thought there's some good stuff there. The, the next one is what, what's a good example of an FAQ. Um, now this is a little while ago. I was asked this question. Um, and actually, the example I provided was from a pest control company. Um, it's called orkin.com. I'll put the link in to the, um, into the notes. But it was, I, I think I found it because I was trying to find out how I can get rid of those little red spiders that come out in the hot summer. And they're little tiny, tiny things. I think I called them blood spiders when I was young. Um, but they're little, like mites, basically. Tiny, tiny things. And I wanted to get rid of them, I wanted to know why they were there. And I think it's to do with heat. On the window, and they, tend, they they tended to tuck up underneath the crack. But actually, this company um, they basically did a quite a good job of how you might write an FAQ because I thought it was um, friendly, informative, um, and it was keyworded as well. So I searched for little red spiders, and that, that's basically what they had in there. Um, the the part of the URL was little red spiders. I think the the title was uh, How do I get rid of it? little red spiders or, on my windowsill? Uh, so it's very good. It's very, very well done. But maybe you've got some examples of good FAQs.
1: Well, actually, all my, I think all my experience of FAQs is, is like bad FAQs. Where, okay, we'll go with that. Where, where, in a sense, it's like they never ask the question that you want to know. Yes. And you think this is so obvious. How has no one thought that no one would need to know this? It's almost so obvious that to the company owner or the service owner, it's almost not worth mentioning because they probably they do it day in day out. They're so used to it that it, it wouldn't occur to them that someone might not know the answer to this question, or yeah. even. And again, I'm I'm sort of being a bit vague. I think what it, for me what it comes down to is the writing of FAQs, and certainly the questions should should not come from you as as in the owner of the company. It should be sourced from your customers and for people who really don't know anything about your your business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think FAQ is always a little bit trite and a little bit, um, it, there's usually like five or six questions which is sort of trying to push, maybe push you to do something. But actually they're, they're not answering the question that you want and, it, mm-hmm. and that, it, it's so frustrating and you think, well, surely I can't be the only person to want to know like um, what days you deliver on or, or what the delivery charges are. And you know, there may be a separate delivery section, they're usually really hard to find. but. Um, but put it in your FAQ, you know, say, well, the delivery charges, okay, here, here's the page where the delivery charges are, you know, um, yeah. in a sense, your FAQ might be a bit of a sort of links to other areas of your site where that information is, but, you know, immediately it's, a, it, I would think delivery charges is a frequently asked question that people yeah. constantly want to know for, you know, if you're buying something online. But can you find delivery information on it's Not always. <laughs> so, again, and the, and the, as I go on and I'm trying to find this information, it's one less reason for me to buy from that site, and I will be like, fine. They've obviously got something to hide about their delivery costs. <laughs> I'm going to go look somewhere really else expensive. where they've yeah. made that effort. And I, I, I guess for me, and I don't know if I'm unique, but I kind of reward effort and forward thinking mm-hmm. with, with my business, basically. Um, and so, if, yeah, if something's lacking, I'm, I'm like, well... Why? Why should I give this to you? If you haven't spent more than five minutes on this.
0: Yeah, uh, and I, I it, yeah, I think of it as a way. I think you're right that a lot of FAQs are written by uh, either the owner or someone working on behalf of them, like a copywriter, um, and are maybe they they're focusing too much on what they want to achieve in those, what they want to make sure people know, um, or they've written it and don't touch it. They don't actually update the FAQs.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: and I yeah. think. It should be a living and breathing document. I mean, there's a couple of ways I use it. I would use it is you you do listen to the questions you get from customers. And to save yourself answering the same question multiple times, you you, it, you want to write that down somewhere. So you want to take the question they, they've given you. You want to take the answer that you've provided back to them and write it down somewhere. It doesn't have to be online. If nothing else, it could be in a, a, a Word file in your, in your folder So just so you can copy and paste that back into an email for people. But why not put that online? Why not use that as a way of getting um, extra clicks to your site, just like this Orkin company did when I typed in Little Red Spiders? I mean, I haven't used them. I think, um, I think they're based in the States. so I've I'm not, I'm not got any chance of using them. But the fact is, it's, it's providing helpful, useful information. And, you know, hey, I've just mentioned them on our podcast. So they're going to get some traffic from that.
1: And so... Thing- oh, sorry. Go on. No, Go sorry. ahead.
0: No, I interrupted. No, no, please. <laughs> the, the politeness of two Englishmen. Right. Um, After you. No, no. Just... Oh, I've done it again. No, sorry. Go, go ahead. <laughs> That's what we need to call it, um, being something about interruptive, inventive interruptions. Um, it, so the other way I look at it, just from a marketing point of view, is there's a great opportunity to get keywords in. You know, every, every, single, um, every single one of the keywords that they're targeting, like little red spider... Um, I mean, that's a very niche keyword. It's very it's it's part of their sort of mini pests that they control because they're a the pest control company. Um, but it gives them the chance to write something about little red spiders, give you a bit of information, but also answer a few questions that people might have. Um, so it's very it's helps with search optimization. Why why would you why wouldn't you want to do that?
1: That's an interesting point because um, you, I often think of an FAQ as being one very long page with all the questions and answers, and maybe yeah, they should be separate pages just for this you know, optimization um, uh, you get from it. You know, Google has it, that own, its own page. It sees it, its own page about about that particular question. Um,
0: Certainly if it's exni- if it's a significant amount of questions and answers, yeah. yeah. I think you could start yeah. with one page, it's fine, but then, you and, know, branch out from that.
1: And the other sort of thing that traditionally, I suppose, on FAQs is, is you have all the questions on, uh, in a big list, Then you click on it, the question, then you see the answer underneath. And that's not, that's not bad because it, when you first look at a page, it's kind of not a bit, it's not overbearing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you come in from a Google search and there's maybe a couple of bits of text that come' up in the answer, you're like, "Oh yes, that's, that's what I'm looking for." Oh
0: yeah."
1: And then you go to the queue, you can't see it because yeah. they're all hidden away. And maybe there's 30 questions, and you'd be like, "Well which question was this on you know where's that text that I wanted to see?" So I would maybe um, have that idea of having all the questions at the top. But actually, when you click on it, it just flies down the page to the answer so that all of the answers are actually all, always visible. And they're yeah. not overbearing. So how, how would
0: you achieve that through, uh, you'd need some way that Google can delineate, oh, delineate is that the right word? But, but Google can identify those sections as almost separate URLs. Well,
1: if we were going down the non-separate URL
0: route, then... Um... So you're back, Al. Something wrong with the internet connection there, or FaceTime, yes. or I don't know. That's the uh, that's what happens. Um, I don't
1: know where we got to. I I was just I was talking. I came up with some amazing ideas, totally <laughs> new, it all. revolutionary things that are now lost in the mist of
0: time forever. <laughs> um, so I think I think we would rounded. I think we've done a good uh, a quick job on FAQ. So we're basically saying that um, really they, you should develop the content by talking to your customers. So any questions you get really should be funneled into the FAQ and where possible it should be online because it's more useful for people. Um, And I think ideally, if you've got enough text and enough information about each answer, then they should be on their own separate pages on your website. But if you have them all on one page, try and make it so that if people are coming in from Google, it's easier for them to find the answer because obviously you've got lots of different questions on there, then Google will highlight the one people are looking for. And so you want to make it as easy as possible. Was that it? Was there anything else? Um... There was one other
1: thing, actually. I was going to say before uh, uh, before the, <laughs> the internet cut me off, um, was just a slightly different approach to an FAQ. And this is something um, my my partner works at the university, and, and they get they, they get <laughs> so many emails asking the same questions from from prospective students, mm. uh, even though the information is online, uh, maybe it's not easy to find or whatever, um, but essentially. That, they have someone fielding the email inbox to kind of answer these questions. Again, this is a big organisation, so it's not necessarily relevant for small businesses. But um, my idea really was to help them, was uh, to have an auto-reply back mm-hmm. to whoever sends, you know, to their inquiries box. An auto-reply just saying, thanks, we've got your message. Um, it's possible you're asking this question. <laughs> Although it doesn't intelligently check. It just says, these are the questions we get asked most often. Okay. And so, you know, number one, when are your open days? I think that's like the biggest question, something like that. Uh, or, you know, of those lines. So it's kind of like you probably answered their question already. So they're not sitting there for a couple of days waiting for someone to manually type the same answer again and again. Um, whether they put that in place, I don't know. but it's, I thought it was a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. So basically you're, you're creating an email responder in whatever system they, they're using that will fire back. Um, uh, an email to any any email that comes in and uh, gives them uh, one or two answers that they're like to questions they're likely to be asking. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a good idea because yeah. you don't need to be you don't need to be patronising about it. There's a lot of um, uh, companies that do that with their like I won't name them, but hosting company that we use when you try and post a ticket <laughs> on their um, website, um, it won't let you post it without first looking. At some other questions that uh, answer uh, some sort of <laughs> FAQ entries, um, it's like a kind of SAT test. Yeah, <laughs> like, got to read these things. And you know? I do, you know, I do yeah. check them, but I think um, in hundred percent of the cases when I've submitted a support ticket, none of them fit. Um, so it it actually adds more frustration. I have no problem if they were to fire back an email going, um, "That's great, we've logged your um, support ticket. Here are a few things that might be related to your issue," because it. You know, they can be a bit more intelligent with that. And then also not stopping. I think the worst thing you can do is stop someone um, complaining or telling you about a problem because <laughs> that's yeah. really frustrating. Not a good time but, to do it. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's so annoying. So annoying um okay the um the other thing i think i gave back on here is um yeah again if you put put images on faqs can help and if it's going to help illustrate a problem or Mm. you know if you're talking about little red spider mites i noticed actually they didn't on orkin i'm pretty sure they did on the original but they've changed it and they haven't got a picture of a little red spider mite i think why, why would you not have one on there um so moving on to next one, um, next question is, can I, par- can I add password protection to a WordPress page? Now, um, you're, you're more of a the WordPress guru than I am, so I'll, I'll re- hand this over to you.
1: Uh, yes, uh, so next question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Al. Um, so built into WordPress is a very, um, I wouldn't call it primitive, it's a very simple password protection system which you can um, add to a page um, and let's say, let me just do this uh, uh, live so I can instruct. Um, so when you're editing um, a page or a, or a post, um, on the top right in the little publish box area, uh, you've got a little visibility uh, kind of heading and there's a little edit button next to that. And if you click on that, you can um, choose to have it password protected. By default, everything's public so everyone can just see it, which is normally what you want. Um, so yeah, you click on the password protected um, button, and then you get to put in a password. That when a user visits visits that particular page uh, on the site, they'll just be asked to put that password in, mm-hmm. and then they can see it. So I, that's I've used we use that in various times when it's a kind of not really that sensitive data mm-hmm. that you've got there, but it's just something you don't want the general public to see, and no one's probably going to be too worried and sort of hacking to get at it. If you see what I mean. Um, I don't know, things like school dates or, or um, other things like that, maybe. Or you could maybe use possibly. it, if you're,
0: if, you, if you're a company, you could put pricing information on there. Perhaps you don't, yeah. Have your maybe maybe a, to see prices, but your customers do. So maybe affiliate pricing
1: right. things, okay. something like that. Yeah. It's
0: like it wouldn't matter if it got out, but you'd rather it didn't. It just is a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So that's that's built into WordPress, which is great. There's a couple of caveats on that um, that I've sort of found from experience. One is that if someone enters that password um that that sets a little cookie on their machine so the next time they go on they don't have to put the password in again that's quite useful that by default lasts for 10 days and that's not easily changeable anywhere um without changing wordpress's literally wordpress's core system mm. which is no never a great idea so that's just something to be aware of if it is quite sensitive and someone does that uh maybe i'd uh you know Internet cafe, if those things still exist, I don't know, um, or a shared computer. Anyway, um, someone else who goes on the computer logged in as that user mm. can then also see that page without having to put the password in for up to ten days. So that's just a little gotcha there. Um, what's the other thing? Ah, oh, yes. If you have um, a password protected page, but underneath that, um, you've got like a sub page that isn't password protected. That isn't also covered by the the parent page password protection. Right.
0: Okay. Yes.
1: So uh, you may think, oh, that top page is password protected, so all subpages are?
0: No. So you couldn't it's make not. a password protected area using that. So you couldn't say, well, I've got the login page and then all the, sub, the child pages of that, that you want, they're, they're not protected. You, you'd effectively correct. have to put another password on, and I guess you'd be asked for that password for each page. Uh,
1: correct. Oh, oh, yeah, that's yes. the page. I believe so. Actually, I've not done it like that yeah, because not... I thought that would be annoying. <laughs> <But> because <laughs> let say you had 20 subpages... You'd have to put that same password against each one, and you don't know what would happen if if you did get hit getting asked for that password. I suspect it probably would let it might let you in, but it's it might not, and it's not ideal because if you want to change the password, you've got to change it in twenty places. However, what I, I did to combat that is I just add a little bit of code um, into the, the functions file of, of the theme that just looks at um, whether any of its parent pages are password protected.
0: Right. Oh, okay. So. If
1: they, if it is and you haven't put the password in, it will kind of kick you back to that page, to the the top level one to enter your password. Mm. And then okay, it's fine. Um, if if the child page is password protected, but you've already entered the password, then fine, it just lets you in.
0: Now I must say, uh, children don't don't play around with the functions file in WordPress unless you know what you're doing <laughs> and supervised by a web developer. <laughs> well, it can it can be dangerous. Um, in fact, just don't unless you know what you're doing and you've got a backup. Don't don't delve into the um, the, the files don't don't use the built-in um, code editor in WordPress because unless you are absolutely confident and you've backed everything up, because you can mangle things. Um, I would fantastic. never do that. No, like
1: only, it's a very last resort. Yeah, and even then, I would find another way. Yeah, just in case, yes, you do mangle something. Normally, the WordPress admin area would still continue to function. That that would be fine, but your site might not, and then. You
0: know, you're sort of battling against time trying to <laughs>
1: trying to find the problem. Yeah, but
0: that's only uh, with the, with the sort of um, fix that you mentioned there to to get that working. The actual password um, built into it works. Oh yeah, that works yeah. out of the box, as it were. You don't need to do anything special for that
1: at all. Um, so yeah. yes, that's that. And the other, I suppose, the other aspect is it's a slightly different approach in terms of adding adding specific people who you want to have access to a page as users to your WordPress okay site. Um, uh, WordPress has a really nice system of sort of hierarchy of, of user rights and, and, and capabilities, as they call it, um, in the users area. So typically, if you're the site owner, you're probably the administrator, which means you can do kind of everything on the site, you could, which includes breaking it. <laughs> but that's fine. You, know, you, you need that level of access. And then it sort of goes down. So you've got like editor and, and then contributor and then subscriber, which is like the lowest possible login um, capability. Um, So in theory, you could set up specific users as subscribers to to your site, and then um, in a similar area as where you set it to be password protected, you change it to private, which means that only kind of logged in people can see that. So subscribers or editors could see it. Um, But the crucial thing there is you you would need to log in, so you would need to kind of provide those login details to the, those particular users. If it's only a low number of users, that's probably quite a nice way of doing it. And you may want to give them other things and show them other things on the site, because they're logged in as, as them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done, well, I've done various things over the years with different kind of user levels and what they should see. I just worked on a site recently, uh, an e-commerce site, where we um, really needed to sort of flag uh, like resellers of the products. They get like a cheaper price than a regular consumer. But we don't want a whole new website just for them to show their prices, so um, we use a combination of a kind of a user role, which is called like a reseller, mm-hmm. and then another, um, like a discounting price plugin um, that then identifies that they're logged in as a as a reseller and shows them different prices for that. So ha- having you know some users as logging into your site, it's, it's quite a good thing. Going forward, it's probably quite useful.
0: Yeah. That's good. Thank you very much, Al. Um, I think we should start wrapping up because actually I think we're pushing on to 50 plus minutes now, which is uh, is pretty good. Um, there was one last one. I don't know if perhaps we can get it in quickly. Um, what's a yeah. 301 redirect? Okay.
1: So that's, yeah, that's often comes up. Um, essentially, a 301 redirect, for me anyway, has two major, major sort of reasons to exist. One is um, if you move a page or you, of your site or, or you maybe move to a new domain, or you have a site redesign, um, the old pages, um, where they used to exist, don't exist anymore. So classically, you go to that link, and there'd be a 404 error, which is just a, basically a, a slamming door in your face for, for two streams. One is if someone's got a web link that they kind of refer to, or um, there's a yeah a web link somewhere out, out there on the internet that links to this page, because it's really useful. People click on it, go to it, 404 error, just bad. And the other aspect is Google's own indexing. Mm. It's indexed your page and your site over the years, perhaps, given it you know a certain amount of uh, authority uh, and ranking. Um, and then suddenly it's not there anymore. And Google doesn't panic immediately, but it's like, mm, this is a problem. Where has it gone? <laughs> it will kind of give you a few months. The amount of time isn't exactly, you know, you yeah, I'm not thought sure it long out, yeah. it's not instant. So essentially, it's it's a little thing that happens behind the scenes on your site, just to say, this page has, has moved to here. So it's a bit like when you move house and you're gonna get the post office to redirect your mail. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like that, uh, but you can do it per page. Um, and it's done in a couple of different ways, depending on um, what sort of platform you're on. Typically, if you're on like maybe WordPress, um, you have like a, what's called an HTML access file, which really kind of looks after this sort of thing. Um, and you can add in the 301 redirect rules into there if you know what you're doing. It's very easy to break that, and if you do mess up your access file, which I have to admit I've done a couple of times, your whole site will not work. It's so important and and quite easy to get it wrong, even the slightest mistake, and your site will completely fail to function. Mm. So um, I only use that if I have to. Uh, What I I quite like to use is a plugin um, called, um, I think it's called Safe, I'm yeah. going to put a link at the end. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and that gives you a user interface uh, on the on the WordPress side to kind of put your old URL in. Let's say you've got like, you know, xyz.com slash widgets, and that's now moved to like um, a different place. You could put your old page in there in the, in the first field, and then you put your where the new page is in, in the other field, press save, bingo. It will look after that redirect. You can manage them. You can see them all. It's very easy to change one if you make a mistake, or add them in in future. And then that's working for you all the time behind the scenes. Mm. Um, if people go to the old link, or if Google goes to the old link, it will redirect it to your new page. But crucially, because it's a 301 redirect, it will tell Google, this has permanently moved to this address. This isn't, I'm just not on, I'm not on holiday. <laughs> this page is, is not coming back to where it was before. Yeah. It's moved. There are other codes you can use for temporary redirects. yeah. 302
0: it. is a temporary, read-based. it's not important. No, um,
1: but this came up recently with a friend of mine who uh, took over a business, um, like a camper van hire business. Um, and you know, by their own admission, they're not web people, you know, they're into VW campers, and that's brilliant. Um, they took over the site, it has got incredibly good organic search rankings in Google, even mm-hmm. though there's no keywords in there to because it's so old and it's been just been around forever. They took over the site. They didn't really like the site. It didn't. They wanted to change it, so they completely changed it. They did have. They just had no concept that of the three or redirecting. It doesn't even sort of occur to them. I don't think, despite me telling them beforehand. I think <laughs> I don't. So they basically <laughs> don't change when the site. They, they, they moved they to
0: a new site, and it had totally different um, totally URLs, different pages, and they used a web builder uh, thing. So yeah,
1: the URLs are just completely different. Um, and so yeah, I just alerted them. You need to. Um, add-ins and three or one Otherwise, over time, slowly, your Google rankings will slip, and you will, I I don't think you will ever get that that back in a very competitive
0: market. Sometimes, I mean, we worked with a company um, a year or so ago where they'd swapped over, and they did start getting their ranking back. Basically what happened is their um, visits dropped off a cliff because when they had a new website, um, Google was sort of pushing them to the old URLs. But sort of two things happened. One, it took a bit of time for Google to re-index the site and identify all the new URLs. Um, So it's pushing people to the wrong place until it got the right URLs. But also Google lowered their ranking because they're not, it basically saw them as not a site who were taking care of the site. They're not looking after the site. If they've got a lot of 404s, which is, you know, 100% 404s. Then it's not. It doesn't work out very well. Now over time, they did put the redirects back in, and and it's fine. You know, it works out to be okay. But it took six months to get back into a good position. But this can be avoided if you if you just um, take like an audit of all the URLs you've got now, and then and by URL I hope people are comfortable with what a URL is. It's basically what is. We don't really use them a lot nowadays, but they are very important. No, and it's what no. you see up right in the top bar where it might say google.com or um, microsoft.com or whatever it is. In there, usually it'll say microsoft.com forward slash and then more pages on the end of that. It
1: does now in browsers if you click on it. Yes. Actually, it often hides it. often hides it. So yeah, it you see the If you click on it, you'll see the whole thing. There's a physical address for that. W- that page, if well, you, physical if you, as you can get if in you the have virtual a... world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um and I think it's fine, you know most people don't need to know what they are. But if you have all of the current pages um and then you map it basically to all the new pages. So this page goes to this page, this page goes to this page. It's very simple, quite straightforward thing to do. Bit boring on large sites and laborious, but it's something that needs to be done. But it's so important, then um you can put that as a file in place or put that into the the safe redirect manager and it just works straight away. It's immediate and no one loses out. Um it's very useful. We do have the route, but I'll just mention a link to this. Um, if, if you want to find out whether you've got any missing pages on your site that need redirecting, a good thing to do is make sure you've got Google Webmasters set up. I'm not going to go into how, um, but Google Webmasters has um, a, an app called Search Console. If you use your Google account, sign up to that, um, add your add and verify your website. Again, I'm not going to go into the detail right now. In fact, if you sign up to TikTok, it shows you how to do that. Um, then it will, uh, pro- probably over a couple of days, it will then give, once it's spidered your site, it gives you the data of what pages it can't find, what pages have got errors on. And then it's those pages that it can't find are the ones you want to make sure are redirected to um, either the homepage or a more relevant page. And it's, it's very important. And there's so many sites that we see that aren't that e- either have moved to a new site and haven't done the redirects, just as Al said, or, or they've got lots of missing pages. You know, people will go and change a blog URL just because it's not right but it's already been indexed. It's already been pushed out to social media and you, you can't do that. You just can't do that. And it's, it's Once it's once that URL's out there, you've got to treat it as permanent. And the only way you can change it is by redirecting it to a new URL. Yeah. Um, brilliant. That was, I think it's pretty good for a first episode out. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to think so. Very comprehensive answers. I'm, I'm, you know, now I have to listen to this all again and pull out all of these URLs for the show notes. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, no, that's really good. So um what, if if you really if you, you like this episode, you found it useful, do tell us on Twitter. You can either mention the company which is at Rather Inventive or, or me at Ben Kinnaird, or Al U R are?
1: Uh, at Inventive Al.
0: Yeah, please do get in touch with us directly. Um and if you've got any questions, um again, just tweet either of us the questions. I'm sure we'll work out a hashtag in time. Um, but we'll collate those. um, And they can be questions on anything you like uh, within the uh, marketing, creativity, or business world. We'll have a stab at it, and if not, we'll look it up (laughs) and find out for you. Um, And we're hoping to do this monthly. Um, uh, As I said, we're not sure of the exact format, but I'm hoping um, perhaps Al will be with us along for the journey and we'll bring in other guests, clients, uh, and various other sort of subject matter experts that we know. We'll bring them in, have a bit of fun, and answer some questions um and that's it so yeah you can see us on twitter at ratherinventive. you can visit our website ratherinventive.com or you can check out um ticks off.com uh, to help you get your marketing done um i think that's it have we missed anything al
1: i don't believe so no very comprehensive good
0: lovely well we'll see you in a month or so whenever the next one is i don't know but we'll publish it all online thank you very much al
1: okay um been a pleasure bye now